one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Vince gives us that long pause and he goes, you know what? It's good for the fans to get their asses kicked every once in a while. <laughs> what three wrestling matches would you watch if you were stranded on a desert island? This is what I'm asking wrestling's best. In the ring, around the ring, behind the scenes, or behind a microphone. I'm Tom Campbell. Thank you for joining me on Cultaholic Island for another episode of Desert Island Graps. It's just now setting in, man. I've got a chance to be the world champion. I, uh, I have done, I have worked my whole life and dreamed about this moment. Um, I, really, I really wish Harley was here. Um, if Harley was here, he would be so proud. He would, uh, man. He told me I was going to be a world champion one day. I would, uh, I would walk into that school and I would see that world title above the door. And just it was a dream. It was it was never reality. That's your title, Trevor. That's your title. Uh-huh. That's and today, today it became real. Yes, sir. I uh, the only thing I could say right now is Nick Aldis. You've got till June 6th, man, because I'm coming for that world title. Thank you. Congratulations. How are you doing? I'm a big ball of joy, Tom. Thanks for having me on here, man. Uh, what is the best thing to have off the menu at the Pig Barbecue? Ah, ah, ah. A number three, brother. A number three combo. Uh, you get beef, you get pork, barbecue sauce, and there's just layers upon layers. It's, it's really a heart attack waiting to happen. <laughs> but damn, it tastes good. Some of the best food is as healthy as being hit by a car, though. So yeah, well, Yes. And, and I come from small towns, so I'm more than likely to stop in a small town and eat at a local business than I am a big chain restaurant. Yeah, because you support support the local business. Of course, of course, That's... man. Uh, can you remember the first time you went to the pig? 
Well, man, we're talking like the pigs have been, you know, the pig where I live at was an established, like that was the, where the, the young kids would go on a Friday and Saturday night and eat there. And then of course we would find some place to go do some debauchery and drinking. And so, I mean, I've been going to the pig since I was in high school. You know, it's been there I'm, since the 40s, hasn't it? It's like a yeah, well-established place. Very well-established, man. And uh, usually when people come through my hometown and they stop in and eat, that's their their highlight of, I don't, I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's the highlight of coming to my town and <laughs> eating at the pig. So. Hey, it'll do. What's the uh, When you've been on the road, you say you always like to eat at, uh, at local establishments, support the local trade. Uh, is there anywhere that you've found on the road that is that is f- marginally close to the experience you have at the pig? Like, you'll never top that. That's like your hometown place. But well, is there no, anywhere I mean, close that you love? Here's the thing. Like, um, when you go to these smaller establishments or the, the, the privately owned businesses like that. Like you get a more of a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just more of an intimate feeling. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like the people are nicer to you. They want to welcome you in. They, you know, they want you to become a part of their establishment. And especially with me being a wrestler and traveling, they tend to cater to me a little bit more because they want me to tell other, other people about their business. So, um, so when you get into a more, uh, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for more, uh, 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 more popular, I guess. What's I'm, you know, what mainstream. I'm I'm to, mainstream, yes. When you get into more mainstream businesses like that, people, you know, the, the employees, they just tend to kind of go through the motions. Whereas when you go to these more small establishments, these small, you know, mom and pop stores, people almost damn near give you a hug when you're walking in, make you feel like family, and that's when you're on the road and you're away from your family and your friends and everything that's, that's uh, comfortable to you. I don't know, man, it's just a, a nice little warm feeling going into a mom and pop shop. And, you know, you, you tell them where you, where you're from and where you're going and it brightens up their day because they've got a, a tourist quote unquote, a tourist coming through. And so it just makes everybody, you know, it's just a better for everybody support local businesses. Absolutely. We're going to talk about your time on the road, among other things uh, today, Trevor. But as well as that, we are sending you onto a metaphorical desert island. And while you're there, you're going to have three wrestling matches to watch uh, whilst you're, you're kicking back and enjoying the sunshine. What would you like your first wrestling match to be, Trevor? Um, I would go with Flair Harley, Flair for the gold. Um, obviously because, you know, Harley's my mentor, but because I've watched that build up for that match so many times, um, I just feel like I was a part of it, even though I don't even think I was, I might've been maybe one or two, you know what I mean? Um, if I was even born, but I just, I, it's hard to see Ric Flair as a baby face. But in that situation with Harley, he was the straight baby face just trying to go for the gold and just wanted his moment, you know, and that the match itself um, played out very well. He had Gene Kaninsky as the uh, as the referee in there. So there were some variables in there that you didn't know what was going to happen. And then, of course, Flair wins and and it's just an emotional moment you know all the way through so I, that's one of, that would be my first one we have uh, gene kaniski former world heavyweight champion himself he was defeated by dory funk jr for the title uh you've got dusty Rhodes, two times world heavyweight champion here tonight rick flair two times world heavyweight champion and harley race seven times world heavyweight champion i can think of two words that may sum up this entire match tonight for the 10 pounds of gold 
two words that I think are critical here, intensity and execution. And the man who has the greatest intensity and the best execution, I feel, is going to keep or keep I think you're right. the title. I think you're right, Gordon. The man who executes best is going to come out the winner. Well, it, it, the tension has been building. It's been mounting for months and months now, and it's all going to culminate right here. And two, we might point out, Harley Race time and time again, Gordon, talked about that it was demeaning for him, the world champion, to get inside of a fence and to wrestle inside a cage. Well, I can understand how he feels about it. However, I think uh, to make absolutely sure, and I, and I certainly have to congratulate uh, Jim Crockett Promotions for this, I think to make absolutely sure that there is no question in the outcome of the match, uh, this absolutely ensures that nobody from outside can interfere. Nobody can give either man the upper hand. And I know Gene Kaniski. I've watched him wrestle a long, long time. He is a tough-minded official. He will uh, call it right down the middle. And fans, again, to set the stage just a little, let's go back. The months ago when Harley Race put up the $25,000 bounty on Ric Flair's head for anyone who would put Ric Flair out of out of wrestling. Then Harley Race saying that he would not wrestle Flair that he would never give Ric Flair an opportunity for the championship. Well here it is Starcade 83 a flair for the goal and Harley Race in the ring inside the cage against Ric Flair and you're watching it live right now. And Ric Flair who has been chasing that belt and chasing Harley Race for a long time. He has got to be hyped and right to the extent of his being right now. I can't off the top of my head remember the exact year that they had that match. Uh, so I, I was probably pretty old, you know, pretty young. Oh, you're going to do a little Googling? I see you're looking. <laughs> not don't know what you mean, no, I'm, Trevor. I'm still, we're still talking. I'm not even we're taking Googling, my eyes off yet. Googling. I'm doing no such thing, Trevor. This is all I, off the top of my head. I call bullshit, Tom. I call bullshit. <laughs> Just sometimes when I'm trying to remember things, I look to no, the side. No, I would like. I'm curious what the date was too. <laughs> Just off the top of my head, I think it was Starcade 1983. Oh, okay. And it was so, November November 24th, 1983. Off the top of okay. my head, Trevor. God dang, you got a memory God, like an <laughs> elephant. Um, so I was what five? You know, I, four or five. So it, I, uh, I obviously didn't watch it live, but. That was, you know, when you're going into Harley's camp, like that was, you know, that was his big kind of like moment. You know, even he would talk about it like, you know, that was my moment to pass the torch to fucking Flair. <laughs> I think anyone else being opposite Flair, because Flair is such is such an incredible heel in wrestling. There'll yes. never be one like that. But if you're gonna have him, if you're gonna have him babyface, you're gonna need a heel that is really gonna be up there with him. And I think at that point. Harley Race was your guy. Like there was no one well, else. He was, you know, we're talking about a time where um wrestling men were men. You know what I mean? And Harley had legit the reputation of being one of the toughest guys in the business. And if you'd asked him, he was the toughest guy in the world. But <clears throat> excuse me. So it not only like the wrestlers not only knew that, but the fans knew that. So to have Flair going up against one of the toughest guys in the business. And not only that, but, you know, at the time, Harley was champion eight times, seven or eight times at that time. So he had a proven track record. Um, it was one of the few times that Ric Flair was like he was the one climbing the hill. You know what I mean? Uh, a lot of people only know Flair from being on top and everybody going after Flair. 
But at that time, it was it was player chasing, you know, player for the gold. It was, he was going after the ultimate prize up against the biggest mountain in the business at the time. Is there a little moment in that match, uh, or a big moment in that match that you that you recall when you talk about that match? Um, it's something funny. that always makes you smile. The big moment that everybody is uh, would would think. You know, I've had a chance to speak to 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 Flair and Harley about that match. And one of the things that gets like is burned in my head is Harley getting pissed off at Kaninsky because he didn't, he fucked up the finish, Trevor. And he's, you know, we've watched the match a hundred times and he'll point out what he was supposed to do. And, and that's one of those moments. Like I, I was lucky enough to get the inside track on a lot of this stuff and, and ask how things were put together and, and how, what was the, the, the emotions and the feelings going on at the time. Because after that match, Harley actually was going to be done with the business. Like he was done. Like he did, like he took his wrestling boots that night and threw them in the trash at the arena. Like he was done. Um, and there was a lot of end up, you know, things going on with the NWA at the time, you know, a lot of political shit that was going on. Um, WWE was going on at that time. Like it was, there was a lot of backstage stuff that nobody really knew about, but you know, what a lot of people didn't know was Harley was done with the business after that night. So what what brought him back in? Did he ever tell you? Um, I think it ultimately, as wrestlers, we we tend to get burnt out. We get burnt out because things don't go the way we want them to, or we're told they're going to go a certain way, and they don't. Um, and back then, those guys were wrestling every day. Like, there was no there was virtually no break. Whereas at the very least we get some breaks now. Um, I think it, for him at that time, he was just kind of fed up with the political bullshit. And in that kind of scenario, you just need time. You just got to get away from it. You got to get out of the situation. Um, when I left WWE, I didn't really want to do anything for the first year. I didn't want someone telling me what to do. I didn't want to deal with disappointment, bullshit. And I just needed that time to just kind of get away, recoup, refocus. And that's what Harley did. He just took a time, you know, he just needed to be out of the limelight and out of focus for a little bit and just kind of restructure himself. And, you know, we love the business. We just get tired of the bullshit that goes with it sometimes. You can love something so much. And I know Trevor, like yourself and Harley, love the business so much, but it doesn't mean that you don't get a little bit sick of it and you need that little step away because otherwise you never enjoy it again. Right. And it's good for the fans for us to, um, like a lot of guys don't want to be pulled off TV. A lot of guys don't want to, they don't want to miss a moment. But if they would look at history, when guys they they do something great and then they disappear for a little bit when they come back they seem to be even more over than what they were when they left they just you need that you need that time period where you're almost out of the spotlight and i wouldn't say people forget about you but at the very least the attention isn't being paid to you so when you come back you're new you're fresh again and to the people you're exciting there's something different you know what i mean you need people to miss you of course yeah you know that's i get that i get that with so you this was from nwa your first match we'll get to the others in, in a short while but uh this one from nwa uh, i know you were a big wccw fan as well you're a big world class fan uh which came first for you was it the uh, was it the national wrestling alliance or was it world class world class mm. world class was on my tv on sundays at my house my brother um he would wake me up on sundays and and i vividly remember sitting there you know with a bowl of cereal watching in my underwear watching wrestling that was like my sunday gig um 
and it got to be a point where like my parents were starting to think about not having me watch it because I would get so excited and I would if they you know if they'd have a match and oh folks the television time's running out we'll get back to you next week and I'm yelling and screaming like I've got to wait a whole week to find out what happened with like you know they were doing wrestling right you know what I mean they left they left they left a little something on the table for you to be excited about to come back and every Sunday it was like clockwork I was you know sitting in front of the tv five minutes before it came on um and just to watch guys like you know the Von Erics Iceman uh Iceman King Parsons gentleman Chris Adams the way those guys could control a crowd and manipulate a crowd and just one punch at the right time they're hating you and just the right fire back they're loving you like those guys were so talented and that time during the sportatorium, um, those fans loved the Von Erics. It was just a moment in time that really kind of just got me excited about the business. It, it really something I wanted to be a part of, something I wanted to do. What I like is that when you realize this is something I want to do, um, your first match came against your first trainer, which was your brother <laughs> who had got you into it. How yeah. did, explain how all of that came came about then. It's funny, man. Um, the wrestling business is full of guys getting opportunities because somebody couldn't make it. Um, I've been this tall and maybe not this thick, but I've been this tall since I was 13 years old. I hit a growth spurt and I was just big. And then I just kind of petered out a little bit. So when I, I, when I came back, I was in job corps, became a certified welder. I, uh, I came back to St. Louis and my brother was wrestling for a small independent company. Um, and I loved wrestling. So I would go and do security for them. And there's a couple pictures out there of me, a young 19 year old Trevor, you know, Trevor Murdoch with a cowboy hat on slim. Um, the, the thing was though, was I was taller and bigger than, than most of the wrestlers. So there's this security guard walking out all these wrestlers and you're looking back and everybody thinks I'm the, they think I'm the wrestler until I sidestep. And then the guys come through and they realize, Oh, he's just security. We got to a, um, a show and I had been getting in and out of the ring before the show. And after the show, the guys would use me as a tackling dummy. I was, you know, I took all their new moves, you know, if, if he can survive it, it's okay. You know, um, and we got to a show and I was going to do security and the promoter was uh, freaking out because a wrestler had called and said that they weren't going to be able to make it. And so he's looking around the locker room and he looks at me and he goes, you've been training, you got a match tonight. And I'm all I've been doing was getting my ass kicked. Like that's like, that's all I was doing. Um, but I went out there and ended up wrestling my brother under a hood. And from that moment on, like I never did security after that. Like I was a wrestler from then on, like there was no, for me, there was no going back. Like you've already put me in the ring. We've already started something. Let's just go with it. And uh, after about three months, I, you know, I took the hood off and I became Trevor Rhodes, the best the child of Dusty. And uh, I was going to ask where that, the name came from, and I was hoping that there would be uh, a, a Dusty and a Lisp involved. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, I I have a slight reputation back in the day that I would get inebriated. And I would go do karaoke and I, I'm not saying I'm good, but apparently I've got a little talent because there was always a great reaction from it. So I, what's, uh, your, what's your karaoke song? I have whatever I feel like when I'm drunk, 
I, it's, it's one of those moments of when I've been drinking and I'm, I'm looking through the book and I'm going, I don't remember that song at all. <laughs> okay. That one's a good one. I think I know that one. Um, Tell me one that you've done that you, that you have, and it's okay to be humble. It's okay to be uh, humble, but it's also okay to be braggadocious. Uh, Trevor, tell well, me a song that you've knocked out of the park on karaoke. Oh, well, you know, you got to do the old G ones, like the Garth Brooks, Friends in Low Places. That's, you know, that was, there's another story with that, with WWE as well, too, with that same song. Um, fast forward years, and I'm in WWE, and uh, I pitch a gimmick to Vince about singing. I want to sing my entrance music, almost something similar like Cena used to do back in the day, except he would rap about his opponents. I wanted to sing. So, um I track down Vince. I follow him into his office. I lean up against, I walk into his office and I lean up against the door so no one else can come in. And um, I had heard a rumor they were splitting Lance and I up and I just blurted it out. I was like, excuse me. I hear you're splitting Lance up. I got an idea for a singing gimmick. I don't know what we're going to do with it, but this is what I want to do. And I really didn't think about what I was saying because Vince immediately goes, well, shit, Trevor, sing me a song. <laughs> and i was like uh, 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 oh, oh, oh okay and i'll be honest with you i couldn't i can't tell you what the song i sang was because i was so nervous like he totally put me on the spot but i sang and then there's like this 10 second pause and uh he goes oh god damn trevor why didn't you fucking tell me before fuck, fuck, we're gonna put this on fucking tv jesus christ fuck, next week we're gonna fucking have you singing <laughs> and I'm so excited that he didn't throw me out of the office and tell me I was stupid that I never asked him in detail exactly what I was going to do. I was just glad I didn't get fired. <laughs> I th one thing I've learned from a few people, we had um, we had Alexander Wolf on the other week and he was talking about his meetings with Vincent Mann. And, and, and the one thing that he's learned is you've got to get your point across dead quick. You've yep. got you've got a few moments b before he gets bored. So yep. I love the idea of you just standing in the doorway going, right, Vince, I'm going to sing. Sing a song. <laughs> you, you've got it. <laughs> well, and, and I it was one of those scenarios where it's like, you know, if I don't if I don't bring up something, they're going to come up with something for me and it may not be what I want. So let's let's try to, you know, nip this in the bud and get ahead of this. Um, I just didn't realize what their idea of country was until I actually started doing the gimmick. I had explained to Vince and the writers and everybody what I wanted to do. And everybody was copacetic. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Until the day we started doing it. And um, Vince is like, well, what song are you going to sing? And I had a song in my head that fitted, that fit the, the gimmick between Lance and I, that kind of was telling the story between Lance and I. And uh, Vince goes, oh, oh, shit, Trevor, I don't know that song. Give me another one. And I gave him another one. Well, shit, I don't know that one either. And he wanted a mainstream song that he knew. <laughs> well, Vince doesn't listen to a lot of country, so it's got to be something so mainstream that even he heard it. And and I, I sarcastically said, "Are you talking about something like Friends in Low Places?" Oh, oh shit, that's it right there. God damn it, shit, Trevor. Oh, that's it. I know that song. Fucking Garth Brooks. God damn it. Oh, yeah, that's what we're gonna do. And so I'm standing. I end up after a match with Lance you know, 10 minutes, blowing up, sucking wind. I have to go push JR, my favorite announcer in the world, push him out of the way, stand up on the announcer's table with my ass in his face and sing Friends in Low Places. <laughs> uh, I'll be as high as that ivory tower 
that you're living in Cause I got friends in low places Where the whiskey drowns And the beer chases my blues away And I'll be okay I'm not big on social graces Think I'll slip on down to the oasis So I got friends in low places The fans were a little confused at first, but after a little bit, they kind of got with it. When I was done, they you know, gave me the one bad, that one bad clap, you know? Um, See, I remember that, so, and I loved that. I just, because it came out of the blue as somebody watching. Like, you lost the match, up on the table, start singing. And, and, and for me, Trevor, as I've always said, I think wrestling's best when it's bollocks. And there is something deliciously daft about, like, I've lost, stand on the announce table and sing. And I'm like, yes! Amazing! Why not? <laughs> well, and it was going well until they started putting me in vignettes with, like, makeup lady, and I would sing, and the makeup lady would roll her eyes, and, they, you know, oh, my God, it's so bad. And, and then they had, you know, God love Ron Simmons. He was just doing his job. But then they'd have Rob Simmons come at the end and stare at me and look at me. And, Damn! You know, and it just didn't go the way I planned on it, um, which eventually I it wasn't too much longer after that. I got the phone call of Trevor, we're going to execute our 98, 90 day early out clause. Oh, got released. Man, but what, what, a, what a brief bursting light that was very I was brief. trying man i was trying i wanted to do something different you know uh I, I felt that i'm working for the biggest wrestling company in the world and you've got guys like jim johnston back there behind the music you can't tell me put me with him and we put something together that we thought you know i thought would sell absolutely but, uh, but to take it to to take it back to I mean let's let's rewind a little bit because the one thing okay. I want to ask you before you joined WWE you were uh, you were training under Harley Race and uh, what was your first impression of of Harley when you met I was him? Scared, properly? yeah, scared, very scared, very timid of him. Um, you know, if if Harley doesn't know you, it's not that he's rude, but he, he keeps the gruff voice, you know, and makes sure that you know who he is. And um, but once. You know, once after that, you know, it was it was the toughest thing I've ever done in my life because Harley had a high expectation of what his guys were going to be, um, especially if, if we were going to have his name stamped on our back. We had a certain level that we had to meet. And for the first three months of my training, I puked every single day. And that's not an exaggeration. That's not a, you know, one day I had a, oh, I fought it. No, every single day I was hopping out of the ring, running and going outside and puking. What, what gained Harley's confidence in me was where most guys would run outside and puke, they would spend half an hour, 45 minutes out there trying to recoup and looking back at the other guys, they're like, oh, they're not done doing their exercises. I'll puke a little more. Um, I would go out there, push everything. I get everything out. I wipe my, my face and I'd bolt back in there and I would catch up with the guys doing squats or push-ups or whatever. And, you know, it took me a couple of weeks before I was able to get in that shape, but I was able, after that three months, so it's just something clicked in my body. 
and I could just go and go and go and go and go stop, drink a whole bottle of water, go, go, go. It's just my body had to get trained to a certain extent to, to deal with that. Yeah, um, card- cardio for days uh, on yourself, as we as we see. And, and Harley, big fan of what you did. Uh, you became the champion in WLW. Uh, one of those title defences was against Meng, which it, it, to some people would be a punishment, Trevor. But I, I know like what a great honour it is to be in there with a guy like Meng. Yeah, to win, I won my first world title from Ming. Um, wow! And, and it was it was pretty crazy. The thing was, Harley had brought in Ming before, previous to that, and wrestled some other guys. And Ming was very nice to us in the back. He was very helpful. But one night, Ming got into the ring with um, a, an individual, and that individual was trying to tell Ming what to do in the ring. Oh um, no! <laughs> as a wrestler, you can you can see little red flags of what's going on in the ring, and we kind of all were talking to her because when Ming would co wrestle, it was like the whole locker room would clear out. We'd all be by the door watching Ming's match. Um, and out of nowhere, in the middle of this match, Ming breaks character and he screams, "Shut the fuck up!" And he just open palm, boom, slapped his opponent, and you watched his opponent's knees buckle. And then you see Ming hit another gear on this guy. Wham, 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 wham. Finish, bam. Ming comes into the back and he's throwing chairs around, like punching lockers. You know, who the fuck is this guy to talk? Tell me what to do. I'm, you know, he's the veteran. He's the other, his opponent was in the wrong. And um, we're young guys and uh, we're just kind of getting out of his way. Let him get this out of his system. Like, I don't want no part of that. Harley had to come in and, and calm him down and, you know, explain to the other wrestler where he was in the wrong. And, and, you know, we, it all got blown over, but then a couple weeks later, Harley calls me into his office and he goes, I've got a match for you. I was like, oh, okay, great. What, what do we got going on? And Harley used to have this yellow notepad, like this old G, like it was just, you know, the regular notepads, like, but he would, he would fill out a card. And then go to the next page and fill out a card and go. And he did this until he ran out. And then he would take that notepad and put it in his drawer and use it as references for other matches he'd had previously and stuff like that. So I'm looking at the the yellow notepad and he points down at the main event and he points at my name and I look at my name and then I immediately look across and it's Ming's name. And my eyes got big and I'm like, are you sure about this, Harley? Like, this is, you'll be fine. So I had to wrestle him two not two times that weekend. I had him twice that weekend. I had a Friday and a Saturday. Um, I wrestled him Friday night, and we went to a 30-minute a draw. So for a young guy who's nervous, I'm in the ring with this superstar. I'm scared of him personally. Like, I'm fearful of my life, because if I make him angry, I know that he can just abuse me if he wanted to and Ming would never do that he would never take advantage of the guys but I was a little winded after the first meeting and I was really scared um we went to go into the second show in Eldon where I was living um in front of all the local people that have come like this is our home base basically you know what I mean um and we get before the match Harley comes up to me and he um he tells me that he's putting me over against Ming for the world title. And I'm 
just flabbergasted. Not only the fact that I'm going to be world champion, but I'm also going over on men. And we have the match. And um, side note, my wife, who I'm, who I'm married to right now at, for 18 years, she was actually in the front row watching that match with her boyfriend. And we didn't even know each other at the time. Oh, wow. So that's pretty cool, right? Yeah, that's nice. Um, that man getting beaten up by Meng, I'm going to marry him. So. I'm going to marry that <laughs> motherfucker right there. <laughs> <laughs> we get done with the match. Um, it was great. I, we went to training that Monday and I went directly into Harley and I wanted to express my thankfulness and, and just how kind and, and just, just my appreciation for what he's done, what he did for me. And, and in that situation, and I had a thought in my head, I just like, I wonder how that conversation between Harley and Ming went about me going over. So I asked Harley, I said, so like, how do you, how'd you have that? Like, how did that even come up about, you know, Ming, laying down for me and he goes well trevor i i, I just i just fucking asked him <laughs> and i go okay i said what what would have happened if he would have said no he goes you'd have lost <laughs> fair <laughs> enough <laughs> and i go okay okay you know well, that, that that's a that's a I, double that honor then shows. isn't it that's a double honor for like harley race to to go so you're getting in there with mang and and for Meng, who who can call the shots in in what he does, he's that position in his in his career and his respectability. But if even for him to go, I'm, I'm losing to Trevor. Yeah, fine, no worries. Like that's and that's a what a great what a great honor for you. What a great nod it was to a you. Huge honor for me, yeah. but it also showed me like because I had met a lot of I'd met quite a few veterans before that, and they were a little bit bitter, um, and. They, they tend to, sometimes they didn't want to do what Harley asked them. They do it because it was Harley race. They just weren't happy about it. Mm. Um, it really showed me a different side of how you need to handle yourself as a veteran and how you need to handle yourself as a wrestler, because there was nobody that walked out of that building and said, Oh, Trevor beat me. Ming's a piece of shit. No, mm. Ming was talented enough and, and, and uh, good enough in the ring to not only keep himself strong and make himself look like a million dollars, but to make me look like a million dollars and make people believe that this 19 year old, well, it was 20 at the time, 20 year old kid just beat this fucking monster of a man. And it really, it was the example, like it was the example to set for me and how I carry myself now as a guy who's been doing this for 22 years. And, and when I get in situations, like when I wrestled Ricky Starks, you know, no offense to Ricky, but Ricky hadn't really gotten a big push until he came to the NWA. And I'm coming in and I'm an established guy. And, and they said, you know, hey, Trevor, we've got to we've got to put Ricky over. I didn't get mad. I was like, OK, I know how to do it. Like, I can do this. I'm confident enough in my own abilities that I, it's not going to hurt me. And as a matter of fact, it's going to we're going to elevate both of ourselves when we do this. And we did. Um, it just Ming was. Ming had came in after that too several times to train with us. Like what a great locker room leader and what a great individual to structure yourself on how to handle yourself in this business, because he is legitimately one of the toughest fuckers in this business. Like, like you talk about guys that are MMA guys or whatever. No, this is pure savagery when he gets angry and for him to, be able to not let that be an issue and take a young guy and elevate me in my, in, in my hometown, in my base area meant a lot to me. It's something I'll never forget. 
Let's move on to your second match then. So we've we've already had a Harley and Flair, the Flair for the gold from Starcade. What would you like your second match to be for your DVD? Then, now this is going to be um, this is going to be like you know people are like oh what a generic answer, um, but I have a reason why um, the Steamboat Macho Man match. Irish Whippin ducked underneath the dragon. Oh look at that deep arm drag off the ropes through the legs and another deep arm drag by the dragon. Oh catches him right around the throat. Referee right there laying the count out. Wow, that was close. And as you can see, Steamboat not biding by rules. He's flagrantly choking, and referee Dave Hebner gonna have to get him under control or disqualify him. Well, the Dragon doesn't want that, Jess. That's gotta be the farthest thing from his mind. He doesn't want to get counted out. He doesn't want Savage to get counted out. He doesn't want to get disqualified. He wants the strap. What a smart move there by the Macho Man. He got the Dragon to chase him outside the ring, and when he came through the ropes, he leveled him. He nailed him. It's a very popular one, and it was popular um, to me before I talked to Ricky Steamboat about all of it. Um, but Harley, again, is where I was blessed, had brought in Ricky probably nine or ten times to do, you know, to be the legend at the shows, and he'd come in and help us with training. And we got to a point where we could, we felt very comfortable with Ricky. And I straight up just asked him, I was like, how many false finishes did you guys do in that match? And I know he, I remember he wrapped off a number like, 28 or 30 i mean it was a lot and it was just our opportunity to kind of pick his brain and this was before he had done all the exposés and the biographies and told everybody like on tv wise what what went into that match and you know he just laid us out like the the, the information the paperwork and, and he actually brought one of them he still has one of the original copies of that match where they hand wrote down everything and he brought it to the school one time and we were just like almost treated like the declaration of independence like nobody touch it <laughs> fucking don't breathe on it don't spit on it fucking look at it from a distance <laughs> you'd want to get it laminated just yeah, to well, be you, sure you know, like we were had phones and all the guys were over it like taking a picture <laughs> with their phone oh, and then wow. they wouldn't even get close to it they would just look at it on their phone you know, be like, holy shit, that, you know, and you could watch the match and go from step to step to step to step. And then as a as a wrestler, you start thinking like, wow, how talented did those guys have to be to not only have the wherewithal to think about what needed to be done before that match, but also then to remember it, execute it with aggression and believability. And it's it's just one of those staple matches that puts good versus evil. And it also tells you how important a pinning predicament is. If, you know, not enough guys, in my opinion, try to beat their opponents nowadays. Mm-hmm. You know, the ultimate goal is to win a match. Yeah. Well, if you're only trying to pin a guy one or two times in your match, how, how, how what's the best way I can put it without breaking kayfabe? How, how how do you expect to, the people to believe you're trying to win? How do you expect the belief to be suspended? Kind of course. Of? You know. Yeah, it's, it's that's a good shout. And it's, it's something that comes up a lot in, in conversations. I mean, with the idea that it's it's great to get those wonderful moments in and those those great uh, series of spots in there to, 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 to wow the crowd. But the, it all has to come down to pinning a guy. Right. You know, it's all got to be that at the end. And and if you go through so long without having that pinfall jeopardy in there, then it might as well just be a, a performance piece as opposed to a it wrestling match. It misses part of the story, yeah. 
and those guys obviously were intelligent enough to know that you know we've got to be going for pins and that's if you look at that match it's based around it's funny to say it but it's based around a pinning predicament mm-hmm. everything led to usually cover one two kick out fuck let's go to, you know what i mean something else one two cover kick out like you as a fan kept going well, which, which one's it gonna be which one's gonna be and then when it happened I mean, the people were just juicing, salivating, just waiting for that one moment. And of course, when Ricky Finn's, you know, Macho Man, the place goes nuts. Mm. And it's you as a fan, even at home, you're excited. You feel it emotionally in your chest. And that's the emotional connection I want with the people. I want people, you know, I don't, when I wrestle, I'm not the flashiest guy. I don't do some of the coolest moves. Don't get me wrong. I've got a couple in there. I try to be cool. Um, but my my whole goal is to make people believe what I'm doing in there. Um, and so I try to stay within my parameters of what would Trevor Murdoch do? How would Trevor Murdoch carry himself? What would he, how would he respond to that stuff? Um, those guys went in there and were able to see what they needed to do and was able to bring that emotion out of the people. You know what I mean? Like you as a fan could almost, you were just waiting for it. Like, when's it going to happen? When's he going to beat him? Um, it's hard to get that emotional connection with the fans. And a lot of guys don't have it. They do they have a lot. Right Nowadays, you have a lot of guys that do some very athletic moves. But people don't care about them. They say that, oh, I like that guy. Oh, he does. But I want a guy who's, who's thinking about, man, I, I can either spend this money on a cool truck park or I can buy wrestling tickets to go watch. I want to. I want to go buy tickets to watch Trevor beat the shit out of somebody. You know what I mean? That's um, what you're looking for, isn't it? I think. Yeah. With, with that match as well, I think it, it stands out on that show because by that point. It, it, it all become very rock and wrestling with the WWF, yes. and 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 this isn't a slight on any of the matches that night. You had the uh, you know you talk about you talk about you know selling the emotion. Hogan, Andre, they didn't do a lot in that, but war palm of the hand all night. But with Savage and Steamboat, it stands out because it is the best wrestling match of the night, and it's yep. the, and and they get all that emotion and 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 they bring the crowd in, but they do it using wrestling, which is something yes. that through sort of the, the golden era through sports entertainment kind of got pushed to the side a bit. Yeah, so no, it, not kind of did. Yeah, so this pure wrestling match brought it back to the center. That's why people well, remember and, it. And people want that. Like, mm. here's here's the reason why WWE back in the day was so successful, excuse me, was because if you didn't like the match that was going on, there was a different match that had a different flavor to it right after that. Like, there was a variety throughout the show. Whereas now when you watch wrestling, there isn't much variety when it comes to the, the way the guys look. Um, there's a lot of same similar finishes throughout the show which takes away from from a lot of stuff um there just seems to be missing that core aggression of pro wrestling in the match um they're more focused on characters and getting their shit in sometimes um i'll give you a prime example i had a match with tom latimer uh not this season but last season i um i got i won the match but I got not one offensive move. I'm talking like I didn't even swing to throw a punch. 
he kicked my ass for four solid minutes. But the way we were doing it, and the way he was doing it, the way I was selling, the way we were going about it, people were getting involved. They were feeling sorry for me. They were like, I was emotionally, they were getting drained because I was getting beat down so much. And then out of nowhere, Tom shoots me in the corner and I move out of the corner and I roll him up one, two, three, and the place goes nuts. Now, nowadays, a lot of young guys, that was mine and Tom's idea. A lot of young guys nowadays wouldn't do that because they're like, well, I'll look weak. Hmm. And it's not about looking weak. It's about getting that emotional connection to the people. As a baby face, you have to have sympathy. You have to have um, people have to, to a certain extent, feel sorry, feel bad for you. Um, where, and you have, and it's not about looking bad. It's about creating an emotional con connection to the people. And sometimes you just got to get your ass whooped to get it done. And a lot of guys nowadays don't understand that. And that's why things look so different in the NWA. Everybody's like, Oh, those are different finishes because we're just, we're not, we're not reinventing the wheel. We're just doing what worked before. And there's a lot of and there's a lot of emphasis put on on wrestling on the on the yes. wrestling and the and the energy and the aggression of wrestling. Uh, something that I know you you dabbled with during your tour of Noah, and that was a life. The Noah Dojo. You I heard you talk about this a few times. Uh, you talk about how you know, the Harley training camps made you sick. It sounds like the Noah Dojo was was double that. It was. It was. Yeah, vicious, man. Like I'm okay. And a lot of people don't understand. You know, I'm an American. Um, to them, I'm a young boy because I haven't really elevated myself in America to kind of get that credibility. So they offered, I went over and did a tour. One, I did one tour <clears throat> before I went to the dojo um, and I accidentally knocked out June Akiyama, the last match of the tour in the middle of the ring. Uh, I'll tell you the story real quick. Um, I was He's a young guy, and but Big Van Vader was on the tour, and Vader was telling me throughout the whole tour that these you know, the Japanese guys are going to test you. They're going to hit you hard. If you don't hit them back even harder, they're going to just walk all over you. And he had been telling me that this whole tour, but I really hadn't felt like I was being taken advantage of at any time until the last match. And it's me, Bison Smith, against Jun Akiyama and Saito. And now the backstory is they're pushing, <coughs> excuse me, they're pushing uh, Jun Akiyama and Saito for the tag title, the tag titles on the next tour. So they needed a good solid tag win against us leading into the next tour. Um, so we're in there and it's the beginning of the match and um, Bison tags me in and I'm with Jun Akiyama and I give him a form and he just comes back with a roaring form and just smokes me. Like I, like it, I took a couple steps back. Well, in my head, I just got Vader, you know, hit him back harder, you know. So I come in and boom. And I, I know I smoked him because it hurt my forearm. Well, it knocked him back a couple steps. Well, he come in and hit me even harder. I mean, just boom, drove that form to the point where it knocked me off my feet and I hit the ropes. Well, when I came off the ropes, I just went with the momentum and I came in to give him a forearm. But when I did, I came in and turned down. And this point right here, caught him right here on the jaw and his hands go up and he does the nasty plunge back falls back 
Now, I knew I screwed up because the fans go, ooh. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shit. I look over at my partner, Bison. I go, what do I do? He goes, pick him up. <laughs> goes, oh, all right. So I pick him up. I put him in a chin lock, and I'm just working it. But while I'm doing it, I'm rubbing his neck. I'm trying to get blood back flow, blood flow going back to the head and the brain and stuff. Well, while I'm doing it, he's starting to wake up. And he's starting to shake with anger. Like he is just now it's starting to clear in his head. Like this young boy just knocked me out in front of 5,000 people and I'm going for the tag titles. He is mad. So he goes to stand up and I'm holding on to him. And the whole time where he's just shaking, he spins his body, puts me into a side suplex and gives me a side suplex, but he holds on to it. So he just drives my head into the mat. And my knees shoot past my head and bounce off the mat. On the video, you can watch him go tag out. And he does the drunk sell to the corner because he's still kind of out of it. He says something to Saito, tags in Saito. And Saito comes in and proceeds to kick the shit out of me. I'm talking, pow, 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 pow. And there's nothing I can do. I just, if I fight it, it'll get worse for me. You know what I mean? So I just took it, you know. We did the match, and um, at the end of it, we go back to the locker room, and Akiyama comes into the locker room and cusses me in English just so I can make sure to know how mad he was at me and I can understand him. So I was motherfucker this and motherfucker that, and, like, he just buried me. Well, lo and behold, that didn't do well for me with Noah. And so... <laughs> Harley's trying to get me back there. And the only way they'll let me come back is if I go through the dojo. And I said, if that's what I've got to do to get over there, I'll do it. And I'd heard the horror stories, but I was willing to, to go through it. And yeah, it was 500 squats a day, 300 pushups a day, 100, 150 bumps a day. You'd run three to four 20 to 25 minute matches. And then after you did all that, you have to do another set of squats. And it was, I'm talking the first three weeks I was in Japan, like our apartment was up a flight of stairs. So I would get in the bus or get in the van and we'd get to the apartment and I'd get up about four or five sets. I'd get up about four or five stairs and my legs would be killing me. I'd have to sit down and push my ass up to sit up to the next step, push my ass up to the next step. And there's no like, there's no, Hey, I'm, I'm this sucks. I'm done. I quit. Like you can't just like hop on a plane and just like, not to mention, I was representing WLW. Mm. I was representing Harley. Harley had pushed um, to get you that spot, and yeah, you, you couldn't just go hard, back. I can't, be a cunt, I can't be a cunt and call him and go, oh, I don't want to be here. It's too dumb. Yeah. You know, I, after that first three weeks, though, I was able to get by it, and I ended up staying a full six months. Was there any extra um, sort of pressure or, or eyes on you when you turned up at the dojo, having been the guy that knocked out uh, Akiyama? Like, had that travel to the dojo did you feel oh, a bit yeah. yeah but it was more entertaining for them because they knew that he was pissed off at me and they thought it was funny Fair enough. Not, he's, he's not mad at them mm. <laughs> they just you know the american boy knocked that akiyama that's funny you know what i mean <laughs> it's always good watching somebody else get told off of course, of course. <laughs> you, know. you know and those guys because of that those guys i think that it kind of broke down the barriers with me and them. You know what I mean? And, and then, you know, I trained with guys like Mar Fuji and Kenta. Uh, Kobashi was in their training with us. Uh, uh, Morishima was in their training with us. O Ogawa was in their training with us. Um, 
they were all there. I got to be hang out, work out with all those guys. How were things with you and Akiyama at the end of the tour? Uh, the end of the tour, like I didn't like that was the last match of that tour, so I went home. Right. And I when I got back to the dojo, it, I I still did shows during the dojo. So mm. like we would they would go on tour and be off for two weeks while I was in the dojo doing squats, having matches. Well, then when the sh- the tours would start, we would still have to do those exercises before the show. Right. Um, and then I would work the shows. Well, the first loop, I didn't have any matches with Akiyama, like no tags, no singles, no nothing. And that's strange, you know? Um, then that next week, that next tour, that next tour, I had a singles match with him. And I was like, Oh shit. Like, so it's in the back of my head, but I'm not bringing it up. Well, the day that we're supposed to have that match, you know, as a wrestler, you're walking around and you want an opportunity to talk to your opponent. And I go up to talk to my opponent. And the first thing he says, now we're talking like, this has been like five years. We're like, well, five, seven years from the incident. The first thing Akiyama says to me, he goes, maybe tonight, no forums. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, fuck, he remembers. <laughs> oh, no. But it sounds like he's cooled down. He was cooled down. And, like, I went in there, and we had the match, and there was never a point where I felt like he was taking advantage of me, you know, getting my getting his receipt in. So he was very professional about it. And, again, I gained a, another level of respect for him. And, and also, he was a prime example of, you know, shit happens in the ring. Don't don't carry it. All, you know, don't, don't drag it along. It's just not worth it. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You'd had some tryouts with WWE. Um, do you think your time with Noah was kind of what made them eventually say yes? Um, it's it's what got somebody else. Like I'll tell you how that all came about. I um, I got home from the dojo, and it was about three or four weeks in. And Harley calls me in. And he goes, "I got you a WWE tryout." Wow. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, I had been up there for a quote unquote tryout eight or nine different times. WWE really had paid me no attention. Um, the only thing I was excited about was I got to eat catering and they paid you 250 bucks that day. Cash. <laughs> nice. You know what I mean? $250 so like, yeah, to eat I'll catering. And, 
Yeah. Well, and, and a lot of times you were just up there as a local and they didn't even use you. So you got paid, got to eat catering, see all the stars and you did nothing. So that's the mentality I had. I'd spent six months in the dojo. My career was going to be in Japan. That's where I, I planned it. Well, I go to do um, the tryout and Benoit is out by the ring and he's very popular in Japan. He's very over in Japan. So I go get my workout clothes on and I slide in the ring. And at this time, I'm straight out of the dojo three or four weeks. I'm I'm flexible. I'm like a Twizzler. You can bend me any way you want because I, for the last six months, I've been twisted and turned and didn't, you know, hit, hit uh, bridges on my nose. Like, it's, you couldn't hurt me. So I go in the ring and I start doing my, my, my Japanese stretches and it gets Benoit's attention. And he comes over and he goes... Have you been training in Japan? And it was just my opportunity to lay out my resume. Yes, sir. I'm but Harley Race trained me. He sent me to the dojo. What company? Noah. Oh, so you got to work with Masawa, Kabaki. Yeah, I got to train with them. They've trained me, did this, that, and the other. And he goes, Do you have a match tonight? And I said, No. And he goes, I'll be right back. Stay right here. Don't go anywhere. And he had went to Johnny A's, put me over to Johnny A's and got me a dark match right then and there. Wow. And he came back and he goes, it was just as quick. He goes, Hey kid, I got you a match tonight. They're going to be watching. Good luck. And he walks off. And so I went from not giving a shit, not caring. WWE's not interested in me. I'm okay with that. To now I have the attention of guys that can make real decisions in my life with this company. I go out there. I have a match with Rob Conway. I, um, I know my job. I go out there and make Rob like a million dollars. Come back. Rob puts me over to Johnny Ace. I come back the next night to do SmackDown. That's when they taped SmackDown on Tuesdays and said it aired live on Thursdays or Fridays or some sort of bullshit. Um, I wrestle Rene Dupree. Um, our match, me and Renee's match is more of a 50-50. Uh, so I got to show some offense. I go in the back. I'm in the locker room. I'm as happy as a puppy with two Peters, man. I made $500 that weekend. I've eaten some catering. I got to hang out with the stars. Like, you really couldn't you couldn't knock me down. And out of nowhere, Johnny Ace comes in the locker room. Hey, when you're done, I need to talk to you. And I just this feeling of dread just came over me. I'm just like, what did I do? Like, because I just... No, no one had ever done that. Like, no one had ever come in and like, hey, I want to talk. No, nobody of power ever no. made that uh, move. So I just naturally thought I did something wrong. <clears throat> I go into his office and he goes, uh, would you like a job here? And I couldn't even get the words out of my mouth. I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep, mm-hmm. And he goes, uh, you know, give me your address and your phone number. I'll send you a contract, have your lawyer look at it, sign it, and send it back, and we'll get you down in developmental. And I was a fucking independent guy. Like, I was struggling to pay rent, let alone to have a lawyer. But, of course, oh, yeah, of course I'll have my lawyer look at it. Sure. <laughs> I'm a professional. What they don't know is that that contract made it about halfway outside the FedEx box. Hold on a minute here. I got somebody calling here. Oh, uh, no problem. Um, it was out halfway outside the FedEx box and it had signed me tabs and I pulled it out and I just signed my name, signed my name, signed my name, shoved it back in the box, zipped it and sent it back because I just, I had this feeling like somebody was going to get back to Connecticut and go, you hired that guy? 
Like, what the hell are you thinking? <laughs> Do I it quickly. I got the, right. Let's get the contract back so if they realize they messed up, I can at least get paid for 90 days on the early out. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, lo and behold, that's not how it worked out. It worked out incredibly well. Um, you, you got put with Lance Cade. Um, did you guys bond right away? We did, actually. Um, I, I had seen Lance before when he was tagging with Jindrak, so I had a, a pretty good idea of who I was at least at looking at. Um, we did uh, two dark matches, and the second night we had gotten into the car. Um, we, I was supposed to, here's what was supposed to happen. I was supposed to go up and tag with Lance for two shows. And then the next week, Kevin Thorne was going to tag with Lance and, and see who the better tag team was. Well, I came up and I wrestled with Lance. We did two shows and Johnny Ace came to us and said, Lance, you've wrestled with Kevin down OBW. You've wrestled with Trevor the last two days. Who do you think you'd have better chemistry with? And I, I for sure thought he was going to go with Kevin because he knew Kevin personally. They were friends down at OVW. I just was waiting for him to say Kevin. And he goes, I'll be honest with you. I, I think I have better chemistry with Trevor. And Johnny goes, okay, you guys are on the road this next week. And we were doing house shows just like that. And my time going to developmental got cut. Like Johnny said, don't even worry about going down there. The money they gave me to move down there, they said, just keep. And Lance and I were off and running. The uh, the vignettes in the bar looked like a lot of fun to make. They were um, because, first off, um, Bruce Pritchard was the producer on those. And he kept telling us, he's like, guys, there's no ring. There's no smoke. There's no camera. There's nothing to kind of uh, hide when you're beating these guys up. So you go to them right now. Because in, in each one of those vignettes, I'm punching somebody, I'm kicking somebody, I'm slapping somebody. And Bruce goes, you need to go up to those guys and apologize to them now. And that was my, you know, that, in other words, what he was telling me is I've got to lay this shit in and you need to go apologize and let them know what's coming. And I did. And those guys didn't get paid. So Lance and I, at the end of the day, Lance and I pulled out a hundred bucks and gave to each guy that we beat up that day. Um, Cause they were just independent guys that just wanted to be a part of it. You know what I mean? Um, but in the beginning we were a little stiff and huh, Bruce goes, well, guys, we're at a bar. What do you need to do at a bar to get loosened up? Shot, please. <laughs> <laughs> and for, you know, Lance and I had four or five shots and we're like, we got this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> So these, so that's when that's where those vignettes came into play, and we were doing it. Vince hated him. Oh, what? Hated him. He hated him. So then we were in Canada, and Vince wanted to reshoot our vignettes, but he wanted Hunter to produce them. So then you have the second set of vignettes where Cade and I are standing behind the bar, and we're talking a little bit, and Hunter produced those. Well, we didn't do half the, not even a quarter of the action we did in the first vignettes and the second one. Vince saw him. I love them. God damn it. Those are great. Jesus Christ. Hunter, Why didn't here. Vince like the other ones? Um, I, I really didn't get a full answer. Hmm. I just, once, once they said Vince didn't like them, it didn't matter what he didn't like about him. He just didn't like them. So we got to do something else. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that may have been, it, it's no telling um, with that company. It, Bruce might have had heat with Vince. And Vince just didn't like him because Bruce produced him. It's no telling 
what the the situation was you know what i mean yeah it could have been anything uh funny you mentioned like triple h there producing a segment for you there's a great there's a there's an incredible story that um i've heard from yourself which is which is from a house show which is involved a, co- a bizarre conversation between you and Lance Cade and Triple H. Are you uh, talking about the the uh, Road Dog Jesse James and the Badass yeah. scenario? Yeah. So would you mind telling that story? Because I think it's I think it's incredible. Because I knew that there was some it was it was a bit dicey between them for a little while, but I yeah, didn't think it had come to period. come to that. There was a time period where there was a lot of animosity between Hunter and Road Dog and and, and Billy Gunn. And we were in a town um, wrestling, doing a house show, but so happened to be the same town Road Dog and Billy were doing an autograph signing, which seemed suspicious all in itself. But it had gotten through the grapevine and gotten to Hunter that Road Dog and uh, Badass Billy Gunn were going to come to the show, the house show. And when, when Hunter went in for the main event, they were going to hit the ring and beat his ass the problem with that is as soon as those guys would have came through the crowd people would have popped and thought it was part of the show Mm. as soon as they saw him climb those guys climb over the railing and get in and start kicking the shit out of hunter they would have thought it was part of the show so nobody would have done anything they'd have just been hunter would have been by himself trying to fight off two guys and the fans would have thought oh look this is so cool this is part of the show well, Lance and I had had a reputation in the locker room where if you've seen one, the other one wasn't that far behind. Like, Cade and I were tight, and um, there were a couple times we got into a couple fights. And it was because, you know, one got into a fight and the other one would come in, and you mess with one, you mess with the other. So Hunter tracks me down, and he goes, where's that partner? Well, fuck, he's right over there. I need to talk to you both. Come over there. and Like, we're trying, we're expecting some sort of grand advice about our match. And uh, he goes, uh, you two watching my match tonight? And we're young guys, you know. We're like, oh, yeah, of course, Hunter. We, uh, we watch that fucking match. We watch you every night. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, we know who he is. And he goes, yeah, 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 yeah. Quit, you know, quit with this shit. You know? And he leads to explain to us what the situation was and what he had heard. That Billy and Road Dog were going to come in and get in the ring and jump him. And he goes, I want you guys at the curtain. And I want you watching my whole match. And he goes, the minute I'm talking, the minute you see those guys, you hit that fucking ring and you proceed to start kicking their fucking ass. And this was very serious. Like he was very adamant. And this is, we know this is coming from the top. You know what I mean? This is not only Hunter, but I'm sure there's been a phone call to Vince to let Vince know the scenario of what could happen. And so Lance, you know, we, we told Hunter, of course, that's exactly what we'll do. Well, then, you know, Hunter walked off and me and Lance are looking at each other going, are we about to, are we about to fucking fight Billy Gunn and fucking Road Dog? Like, is that what we're, is that where this is leading to? And Lance is like, I guess so. And thankfully, thankfully, Jesus Christ, thankfully, those guys didn't show up <laughs> because we would have had to go out there and, you know, we were fans of those guys, but we also know where our, our bread was buttered. You know what I mean? So we were going to go out there and eat their lunch and, and let them know, like, listen, this is not the place and time to be doing this. Uh, we we lost Lance in 2010. Um, can you remember when you heard the news? I know exactly where, what I was doing. I, um, I owned a bar and grill at the time, and um, I got woke up 
because I would work nights and um, I got woke up at like eight o'clock in the morning and my wife and my um, my kitchen manager, who was a wrestler that I had trained, were at the end of my bed, which is completely uncomfortable. Like, it's strange. You know, wake up, you see two mm. people sitting on the end of your bed. And my first reaction was, what happened to Harley? You know, mm. Harley was in the 70s. You know, like, what happened to Harley? And they said, it wasn't Harley. Something happened to Lance. And I was like, what happened? And they go, he passed away. And I still, like, you know, I was half asleep. and It just didn't didn't fucking register you know what i mean i just talked to that cat the day before you know and um i told my wife i was like that's a, that's a fucking sick joke to be hitting me with first thing in the morning and i grabbed my phone to see what time it is and hbk had texted me and said call me now kid so i call him and i i just blurted out I go, what's all this bullshit i'm hearing that lance died and uh i'll never forget his words he goes you know kid i'm sorry but but he's gone he's passed away and I have no qualms in telling anybody and everybody I dropped to my knees right there and I sobbed. I uncontrollably sobbed. I could not control how I was feeling because I could not understand why the good Lord would take um, somebody so young and so talented and, and genuinely, genuinely a good person. We don't meet a lot of those people in this business. Um, and I just, I just couldn't fathom like 29 years old, man. Like you got two little girls, like what, like what, what, like, what do you do about that? Like, how do you, how, how do those girls deal with that? Like their daddy was always on the road anyway. And then now he's gone. Um, it was really rough. Like I get emotional now talking about it because mm. he was truly one, one of my best friends. I only have two in the world, man. And he was one of them. And to know, like, you know, like he's not around anymore, man. That's, uh, it just sucked really bad. Mm. It still sucks. And, uh, you know, we're talking about a guy who's 290 pounds, could move like a fucking cruiserweight, man, could wrestle anybody and make them look like a million dollars. And, and for that, just that alone, you know, wrestling wise, that, that doesn't even, that doesn't even tip the iceberg of what kind of person he was, what kind of father he was, what kind of good man he was and how he looked at the world and looked at people. He wasn't jaded. Like we get sometimes in this business, you know what I mean? He was a, a farm boy from Omaha, Nebraska, and he was still that shy farm boy that, you know, when I was tagging with him, um, it's just, it's, it's, it's a sad, sad, tragic moment um, that, that should, that could have been avoided. And, um, you know, there's, there's other things that, that played into that. Um, a part of that was, you know, he had only, the only job he'd ever had was wrestling. And I'm talking like he graduated high school and went into Shawn Michaels wrestling camp. From there, he went to Ohio Valley. He went to Memphis. He went to, um, what was his name? Uh, there was another company that he went to, a developmental tour, territory. Was it and Deep then he got South? Deep, well, no, there was another one with Les Thatcher. Um, ah, son of a gun. Any other time I remember it. Mm. Uh, but he had only wrestled his whole life. Um, he had 
fallen into an addiction that took control of him from an injury. Um, he got himself straightened up long enough to get his job back from WWE. Um, he got his job back and he realized he was, I remember the conversation. He realized that he had a problem and he said, Trevor, I'm going to talk to the office because the office would always tell us, you guys got to, if you're having any issues, if you're having trouble, you know, you can come to us. There'll be no heat. You won't lose your spot. Like, you know, be honest and upfront with us and, and we'll take care of you. And to this day, Lance is still the only active wrestler on the roster that has gone to the office and said, I have a problem and I need help. And the office patted him on the back. Good job, Lance. Good job. This is the right thing to do. They sent him to rehab. Um, I couldn't talk to him for a couple of weeks because you have to go through a certain detox period and all that. <clears throat> I, um, I got to talk to him and it's the clearest level headed I'd ever heard from him. Like I was so happy for him and excited for him because the way he felt and like he was over that hump of, of feeling like he needed that stuff every day. He gets out of rehab and two weeks later, WWE calls him and fires him. What a fucking bunch of pieces of shit. You've got a young guy who's worked for your company since the day he was 18, whether it had been the main roster or not, he was still part of developmental, which was a part of their company. He went to them with a problem and expressed that he had an issue. They made him feel comfort. They made him feel secure. And then when he was done and they could get away with it per social media and not look like bad people, they fucking dropped him. And what do you, and what do you, as a guy who's only had one job your whole life, You've now just been released from that job twice. You know, the likelihood of going back is very slim. It put Lance into a bit of a spiral and he ultimately what happened was when you clean out your body like that, when you go through rehab and you stop taking all, you know, the, whatever your vice is, you stop taking it. Your body starts to get healthy again. Your heart gets stronger again. And it, everything starts to go back to normal. Well, Lance kind of uh, spiraled out a little bit and he started taking the same amount of gimmicks as he was when he was on them full time. And it eventually slowed his heart. Like he took them uh, and it slowed his heart down until it stopped. It was an accidental OD. Um, I, I'm not putting that on WWE. I'm not saying that they are responsible for his death, but they sure as fuck didn't help it. And I, I will, I will always have a little bit of bitterness towards that company because of that. Um, every, you know, I get the messages when you're going back to WWE, we'd love to see you back in WWE. Man, I'm not going back. Like I'm not like I'm done with that company. Um, you know, a little thing like everybody, there's, there's other scenarios too, that WWE kind of filed up with us. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, we were in Belfast, Ireland and uh, we, the, when you, when you do overseas tours, the general rule is you go down to the hotel bar and you get liquored up and you, you stay up till the next morning 
so you can get on the plane and take the flight, the 13, 14 hour flight back home, you know, passed out. We are, um, me, Randy, Orton, Arne Anderson, and Lance were all in the hotel lobby, our hotel bar, and we're drinking. And a fan comes up to Randy and says, hey, can I have an autograph? Randy signs it. And the guy goes to give him another piece of paper. And Randy's like, listen, I've already signed something for you. I'm just spending time with my friends. Can you leave me alone? Well, the guy starts getting belligerent and cussing Randy, saying, you know, he pays our bills and this, that, and the other shit. And just, just, just rhetoric. Well, um, Randy stands up and yells at security and says, hey, this guy's trying to grab my balls. <laughs> Can we get him out of here? Uh, they get him out. About 20 minutes later, the guy comes back, wants Randy to sign something else. And uh, Randy tells him calmly, listen, I've already signed whatever. Get out of here. Well, the guy starts being belligerent again. And Randy tells security, hey, listen, this guy just grabbed my balls. Like, he got a handful. Like, he cupped them. Security says they took him out. So we get done. It's about four o'clock in the morning and the bar's closing down and Lance and Layla are walking out of the bar. Um, Randy's behind Lance about 10 steps and I'm about 10 steps behind Randy. What no one knew was three days before that Randy had gotten hurt in the ring. He was world champion at the time. Couldn't even bend over to tie his own boots up for the last three shows. Um, so he was hurt bad. Well, what we didn't know was the guy that was causing trouble with Randy had snuck back in and was hiding behind the, the front desk lobby. Jeez. He comes to charging at Randy. And Randy catches him out of the corner of his eye. And, you know, murder! Well, I'm, I'm drunk. I see the guy. Boom! I just smoked him. Another guy was coming at me, and he made the mistake of going to take his jacket off way too close to me. Because as soon as that jacket got down to the elbows, Boom! I just smoked him. What I didn't know was those two guys were part of an Irish wedding reception that was going on in that hotel. And in the lobby was the whole reception. So after I punched the one guy and I punched the other guy, the second guy, all the family members are now coming in. And they've got me in a half moon and they're starting to take their jackets off. I'm just this redneck fucking American. And I start, you know, I'm like, oh, fuck, like, this is going to be a bad one. Like, this one's going to hurt. My tag partner, God love him, turns around and sees these guys forming this half moon and turns into a 290-pound bulldozer and just, woo, 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 lowers his head. These guys didn't see him coming because he was coming from behind. Blasts the hole through the wall of guys. And, like, literally, like, these two guys went flying into the air onto their bellies. Grabs me, throws me through the hole. We're running to the elevator, and like a movie, they're all chasing us, coming to the elevator, and the elevator goes, <laughs> well, Caden, I thought, shit, we're good. Like, okay, we made it. We're up in our hotel room, and an ambulance is coming down the road. Police cars are coming down the road. And we're like, surely that's, that's not for us. Well, we get a call from Arn Anderson about 20 minutes later. Uh, boys, can you get the fuck down here? You fucking assholes are getting arrested. Sure enough, <laughs> uh, me and Cade and the security guard, because what we didn't know was the first guy that I dropped started getting up on all four, and the security guard who'd been flirting with this girl realized what happened and took a 10-step and punted this guy in the face, knocked him out cold. So me, Lance, and the security guard are getting arrested. We explain the situation. They say, well we'll have to come back. You'll have to come back for this. We're like, okay, whatever. 
we ended up going to talk to Vince about it the next day. Cause we thought we were tag champs. We thought we were losing our jobs. We were getting fired. We got arrested in another fucking country. We were tag champs and we got arrested in another country. We're getting fired. So we go and we track down Vince and we just lay it out to him. We're like, we're getting fired. We're not waiting around for you to come fire us. So we tell Vince the story and Vince gives us that long pause and he goes, you know what? It's good for the fans to get their asses kicked every once in a while. <laughs> you never know. If I'd have been there, it might even been worse. <laughs> Don't worry about it, boys. I'll take care of it. And Cade and I went from we're about to lose our jobs to fuck, we're good. We're good, score. You know, we're we're okay. Jeez. Um, we go we go on with our career. I get released like eight months later. Cade gets released three months after me. We're I'm at home. I get a call from WWE Legal and they go, Hey man, you gotta go back to Ireland and take care of this stuff. And I'm like, what stuff? Like we're it'd been a long time. Vince said he was taking care of it. And they go, Well, you have to go back up and show up to court. I said, I don't have the money to pay for a plane ticket to randomly go to Belfast, Ireland and a hotel and and for a lawyer and, and all that. Like I, it would have been astronomical. I go, I'm just not gonna go. I just won't ever wrestle in Belfast, Ireland again. I'm, I've only wrestled there five times in my whole career. I can go ahead and manage that country and not be there. They go, that's fine, but it'll mess up your passport and you won't be able to go to Japan. In Japan, where I'd been making uh, quite a bit of money on the independent, you know what I mean? While I was doing independence, I'd go over yeah. there for a tour, you know, and I was like, that's bullshit. And uh, they weren't going to pay for anything. They weren't going to pay for the flights. They weren't going to pay for the lawyers. And we were all, the whole thing was to protect the world champion. And Vince said he was going to take care of it. So it's the one and only time, like, I pulled a Trump card. And, and I called Sean. Because Lance didn't want to call Sean. He didn't want to bring this up. To, like, he, it was a student mentor thing, and he didn't, he didn't feel right asking. I was like, shit, I'm asking. And I went to Sean and laid it. And Sean knew about it. Like, he knew about the previous incident. He didn't know about what was going on right then and there. And I just laid it out for him. And he goes, I'll call you back in five minutes. And he didn't call me back. Johnny Ace called me back saying, don't worry, Trevor. We're going to take care of the lawyers. We're going to take care of the flights. We're going to take care of everything. But they were willing to leave me and Lance like out to dry on that until I had to call somebody with a little stroke and get it done. They were willing to just let us like hang on the rope for that. And that was my first like my first like, man, like this company isn't what I thought it was. Like, I know they were shady, but. I'm a three-time world WWE tag team champion. I did everything they asked me to do and then still got let go. I felt like I deserved a little bit more respect than that. And then the situation with Lance, and that was kind of like the nail in the coffin. Like, I don't, I hardly even watch the product. No, it's just, I want nothing to do with that. Uh, you, you ended up away from WWE. Um, you ended up getting into a conversation about about the NWA and and at all places and uh, it, it feels awful to talk again about somebody in your life that, that that's gone. But Harley Race's funeral um, was where that happened. It was 2019 that we lost Harley and mm-hmm. and, and it, you know we don't need to, we don't need to talk about like how you found out and all that stuff. But what I'd love is a story from yourself that celebrates the relationship that you had with Harley. We've, we've heard some amazing ones. Him put you in there with Maine, you're going to be fine. And <laughs> just <laughs> throwing you into situations and, and sorting out stuff with Noah, getting you the WWE tryout. There was so much, so much love and so much respect between you and Harley Race, wasn't there? 
Oh yeah. Like I, I spent more time with him than I did my own family. I was, we were, we would train until a couple students started complaining. We would train six to seven days a week. So we were with Harley six to seven days a week when he was in the school, we were in the school. That's just how it was. Like us, like, like that's, we felt like if Harley's there, we need to be there. Um, what was cool about that is like, we got to see the man behind Harley race, like not, not, you know, Flair, I'm putting out $25,000, you know, I, that's not the Harley. You know, we knew that Harley, but we got to see the softer side of Harley, um, the jokester side of Harley. Um, it was, there's nothing cooler to go in and ask the man who knows everybody and knows everything about a certain wrestler. And he would start to tell a story and then inevitably he'd be like, well, shit, let's call him. And he <laughs> would go through his calendar and find their number. And he'd look at you and take that big old dick finger of his and, and he would call them on speakerphone and we would sit there and listen to Dusty and Steamboat and uh, Ganya. We you know, got to talk to Greg, uh, Vern and Greg Ganya and uh, Larry Henning, you know, just we're young guys and we're just flies on the wall, but we're just <laughs> like, you know, very excited. You know what I mean? Um, it was moments like that. It was, um, it was moments when um, like when my wife, miscarried twice with our with our with two of our children and i went to him the toughest guy in the world i'm sobbing and i'm crying on his shoulder and the kid the man's crying with me because he knows how much i'm hurting you know it was stuff like that like people don't see or get to know or know about you know what i mean um the uh <laughs> going to his condo be here at, at nine o'clock and you would go to his condo and you'd go downstairs and you'd see him sitting drinking in his tidy whities in his underwear, drinking a cup of coffee, looking at the lake. Like, that's Harley fucking race over there. And you know what? He's still tough. Ain't nobody going to say nothing about it because, you know, he, he'll still knock you out. You know, it's little stuff like that, you know, like the, nobody else is going to have or has that I have. Um, he was at my wedding. You know, he was, he held my, he held my son before my real dad held my son. You know what I mean? It's, um, he was, I loved him. I still love him. I miss him. And like, man, if he could, if he could see me and what I'm doing with the NWA right now, like that's, that's the bee's knees, man. I can't, you know, he'd have loved it. And it is what it is. I know he's looking down on me. I know he's on my shoulder. Um, I'm definitely using him as an example. In just a few days' time, th that 10 pounds of gold that Harley Race held so many times, it must be both nerve-wracking and the deepest joy all at the same time. It is, um, because if, you know, everybody talks about, well, if you win, you know, how great everything's going to be. But if I lose, um, I don't know if I'll get this opportunity again um and it's also my time to it, it, it's almost like a full circle scenario you know i started out looking at that title above harley's desk for years and always wanting to be it and now i have i have an opportunity to win an opportunity to possibly become world nwa you know heavyweight champion um i hope that's what's in my future that's what i'm working for that's what I'm working towards. Um, 
and I want to be NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Um, again, I think that would kind of complete the circle of my career. Um, and I had, and I, and I have already made it a point um, to let everybody know that when my time in the NWA is over, I'm done. Like this is Cinderella's found his shoe, and when and you know where I got that from, and uh, you know it, it. I don't think that going and wrestling for somebody else will be as satisfying as what I could do in the NWA. This is your Cinderella shoe. This is the once you reach here, uh, this is the end. Is that have you accomplished everything that you would want to accomplish? If you have Sweet Charlotte in your possession, is that everything? Yeah, that's my checklist. Like, you know, everybody, you know, when you wrestle for WWE or, you know, uh, TNA or whatever, obviously your goal is to become world champion. That should be your goal. Every wrestler should be their goal to be world champion. Um, I just personally never felt like those titles meant as much as the NWA world heavyweight title. I'm talking real fucking tough guys have held that title and have been champions of the NWA. Um, my mentor, you know, we'll just throw him out there, but the list and the lineage of looking back at who held that title, I'm talking about some badasses, some real tough guys. Um, so to me, throughout my whole career, like that was the man's man's belt. You know what I mean? NWA world title was, you know, you, you had to be legitimate to a certain extent to be that world champion. And I want, you know, there's, I know that there's a certain amount of spunk about me, I guess, that I won't let nobody roll over me. Um, I feel like there's a certain way of doing things and I'm going to do them the way I want to. Um, I always just felt like that, that world title was, was the world title. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's other world champions, but in my opinion, there's got to be a start. There's got to be a beginning somewhere. And that beginning is the NWA World Heavyweight title. We've got one more match to get to. We're going to do the big push for NWA When Our Shadows Fall in just a moment. But you've got one more match to choose for your DVD. Uh, we've had Flair and Harley, the Flair for the gold. We've had Savage and Steamboat from WrestleMania 3. What's your final match going to be, Trevor? All right. Now, my final, my, it's not my final match. It's my final set of matches. Okay. <laughs> Cheating a bit. Fine. Whatever. Yeah, I... I <laughs> And I don't think they get enough credit. It's the Booker T Benoit seven oh, man. Oh, nice! Like those that that whole like for seven weeks. Like I, that's the one match like I wanted to see because it. I mean, the aggression level was always high. There was always something different in each match. Booker T, in my opinion, like went up another level from where you know from where he was when he was tagging with Stevie Ray. Um, it really kind of put him on that map. We're back in the entrance of the Crippler, Chris Benoit. This is match one of the best of seven series. Match two will be Wednesday on Thunder on TBS. Match three will be Saturday night on our two-hour edition of WCW Saturday Night. As we continue, should be great competition between these two men. We've seen it before, Mike. This was a rivalry that originally focused on respect, a mutual respect between the Canadian Crippler, Chris Benoit, and Booker T, but Tony, it has just evolved into a situation where there's absolutely zero respect between these two men now. There's just one thing bottom line, that's a shot at the world's television title. And we're gonna decide it with a best of seven series. This is match number one. 
it's the first time I can remember in a long time me really getting involved in wanting to watch that match. The first one is what set it all off. You know, the way like they went like 15 or almost 15 minutes, you know, in that first one. And there was just a back and forth, back and forth. And the buildup for all of it, I thought was just intense. And it just, every match drew me in a little harder and a little harder and a little more and a little more. So I think that seven man series with Benoit and Booker T really ranks high up there as, as some of the, the best work out there. And it comes back again, like Savage and Steamboat and like Flair and Harley is that it's, it's a, it's a wrestling storyline that's built around the wrestling. That's, and there's, you know, it's, that's it's what not we're a, supposed to be doing. Exactly. And that's, and that's, <laughs> the, and that's the consistency with the, the, with the, the matches that you've picked is that it's all about the wrestling and, and, and that told a story between the ropes with those guys and how it went back and forth. Were you a WCW guy more than a WWF guy at this point? Um, I, I was to a certain extent because WWF was still kind of doing a little bit of the, the hokey, like they were just getting into the DX and the attitude era and stuff. And, um, WCW seemed to be more of, you know, wrestling based, like everything was more focused on the wrestling. Don't get me wrong. They still had their, their stupid pyrotechnics and, and stuff like that, but it was more focused on, I felt like the wrestling, but I was just like everybody else. Like, I would click on WCW and then I would click over to raw. And then I had, I hit one button the rest of the night that's recall. Cause then I would just, if I didn't like what was going on with WWE, I'd switch over and watch WCW and I would stay with WCW until I disliked whatever I was seeing. And I'd flip back over and see what was on WWE. Like that was a good time for a wrestling fan. Uh, those mm. wars, because you got, you had competition between each other. Um, and it made the it, get, it made the best for the business and for the fans. And I was right there as one of them. I'm flipping back and forth, wanting to watch what was going on or which one. But WCW, if I had to have picked, then that would have been the company I would have went with. There's only one uh, channel to flip to uh, on June the sixth, and that's Fight TV. Uh, right. For NWA, when our shadows fall. So um, it must have. B- before we get into the, into the pay view once again, it's got to be great to be back wrestling, Trevor. Especially on that um, amazing soundstage. I, I love it. Um, so it good. brings a little bit back to my childhood. Um, it brings nostalgia. You know, NWAs, they're, they're not, they're not, they're not uh, trying to confuse people on the fact that, you know, we, we do have a lot of nostalgia. We are an older company, but we're also now an older company with an older lineage with a new style. And you know what I mean? We're fresh. Mm. Everything's been freshened up with the wrestling. The set's the same very old school but the wrestling itself is is more up to date and modern and aggressive um it it really is its own little genre like i call it a cult classic um because it's one of those things like people love to watch but not too many people know just yet and i think it's a scenario where once people start watching it once or twice they'll just they'll be they'll be addicted to it you know what i mean it, it becomes that that guilty little pleasure it's impossible not to fall in love with it. Like just everything about the presentation, and as you say, like it's that, it's that, it's that, it's that heritage, but with 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 a new with a new sound, with a new beat to it. Who is there in uh, when you? Who is there within the roster right now that that you think is going to be a big deal, or or is somebody that you think is going to is is a is a quiet sensation? Somebody who's going to really take the world on soon. Um, I. 
I'm not a big fan of him personally, but work-wise, he's my favorite in the company. And that's Tom Latimer. Mm -hmm. um, I have my personal opinions and ideas about Tom, but professionally, cuts a great promo. Looks like a beast in the ring. Kills people in the ring. And looks like just an absolute just beast of a man. Um, if I had to uh, put together a pro wrestler, Tom would fit all of those marks. Um, and I think now with the NWA, he's getting an opportunity to kind of flourish and, and be himself a little bit. Um, that's the one thing that makes NWA different. Um, and and I'll, I'll tell you about the fact that like when you go into most wrestling companies, you talk to the promoter and you kind of get, a, you feel them out for what they want. You know what I mean? It's they, you're just trying to be a good company man and, and trying to give the promoters what they want. When you come to NWA, there is no, there's no box. There's no guidelines. There's just go be you. And it was a little difficult for me at first because when I talked to Dave Lagana at the time and Billy and I was like, so what are you guys looking for from me? Like, I want to be able to deliver what you're asking for. And they go, just be you. I go, I'm, but what do you guys want? <laughs> and they're like, we want you. Just be but you. How do you want, like, like, yeah, like, because everybody else, when I tried to be me, they always micromanaged me and, well, don't do this and do that. And then one person would be telling me not to do it while another person's telling me to do it. And it just confuses, confuses a guy. And at first, when they said, just go be you. I was confused because I wasn't quite sure who Trevor was. You know what I mean? Like I knew who I wanted to be, but I never had a place to let me be me. And um, when it comes to my promos, everything that's all me, that's all me speaking from the heart or whatever's on my mind. Um, the other cool thing about it is if I, I talk shit about a top guy here, like I'm not going to get in trouble with my job or, or, or you know, lose a position. Most likely, I'll get a match with that guy, and we'll work mm. it out on TV where everybody can make money on. Uh, other companies, you can't do that if you have an opinion about somebody because you might get, you know, office heat and you're becoming difficult to work with and all the other horse shit that's not necessary in pro wrestling. What, whatever the outcome, we're excited for it. If people are going to be tuning into When Our Shadows Fall, their first NWA Power era pay-per-view what can people expect from a night with the national wrestling alliance trevor we are all about giving good hard school hard aggressive pro wrestling but in the same sense there's going to be a couple surprises in there um what we do isn't you know um we don't even have entrance music and and stuff during power but in pay-per-views you know there's a little extra special so we get entrance music entrance entrance musics um but the stories you know NWA is big on paying off stories. You know, people have been involved in certain storylines throughout the company, throughout the, the season. NWA feels the need to pay those off. Whereas in a lot of companies, you don't get that. Um, there's going to be a lot of hard hitting action, a lot of aggression and a few surprises. I can guarantee you that. And where can people go to keep up with everything that you're doing, Trevor? Um, I, I'm at on Twitter and on Instagram, you know, uh, the real T Murdoch. Uh, I'm on Facebook as well, too. Uh, there's a couple people out there trying to impersonate me, but Jesus Christ, who would want to be me? Like, I don't understand that. There's so many, so many cooler people to be than me, Trevor Murdoch. Um, you do yourself a disservice, sir. Oh, man. 
uh, it's just, you know, I've got pictures of my family on there. You'll know which one's the real me. And, and I'm actually, I'm pretty vocal with the, the fans and interactive with fans. You know what I mean? If they send me a message, I tend to respond within the day. So don't be afraid to talk to me. If anything will bring you closer to Trevor, it'll be ordering a number three at the pig. <laughs> right on. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. <laughs> 